Unai Emery leads Villa towards the top four as Tottenham's chances hit the floor. Arsenal have to settle for a draw as Manchester City win once more. Hodgson's Eagles continue to soar as Southampton look to fall down the trapdoor. Manchester United have a new Brazilian to adore and Chelsea can lose even if they do score. Welcome to the Football Diary Podcast. Hey, welcome to the Football Die podcast. It's great to have you with us. I'm Mike with Miles and Dave this week. And we're going to start actually with, with Miles' team, Aston Villa, because we've had this debate behind the scenes that are Villa good enough for the top four because they're in such great form at the minute. And their win against Newcastle this weekend, 3-0, is probably the most comprehensive Villa victory I think I've seen in a long time. And I think Miles would concur with that. So where else to start but with you, mate? Wow, what a performance, first of all. Are you actually dreaming of the Champions League now or is that well out of reach, do you think? Yeah, I could just sit and smile for the rest of the podcast, but it's not really a good audio feature for anyone listening elsewhere. It's fantastic. We've talked for the last few weeks about Villa aspiring towards creeping into Europe late on in the season, but the more our form continues, the higher our aspirations become. It's still a long shot for us to get into maybe even the Europa League in some ways, let alone the Champions League, but we've put ourselves in the conversation and I can't believe we're even talking about that at this stage of the season when you look at where we've come from. It's, uh, I mean, there's so many things you can point out about this particular performance that stood out. But yeah. I'm going to go back to you, Miles, in a moment with, with a, an Ollie Watkins zoom in if we can. But I'll go back to you first of all, Dave, just to say, wow, Villa were great, weren't they? From a neutral perspective, great to watch against the Newcastle team that have been really difficult to score against. How did Villa carve them open so easily, do you think? Yeah, and I think just... The way that they did actually take Newcastle apart was so impressive in itself. And a Newcastle team that have been in, you know, banging form, been so consistent. You know, throughout the season, we've kind of been waiting for, you know, waiting to see what ta- what team's going to take them apart because they've really gone toe-to-toe with most of the big teams in the league. And this is the first time, really, that we've seen Newcastle so comprehensively beaten. Um, I can't really, it doesn't really spring to mind another result where they've actually been so soundly beaten. And that you, you no. can only say that that's just so brilliant to say, for, I imagine, for Villa fans, just to see how well they did perform in this game. I thought in all of their goals were really impressive. I thought the last one, um, Alex Moreno, I thought he had a really good, played a really good part in the third goal. Um, and we were talking, weren't we, in, at the, over the weekend, Miles, and you were just saying like how impressive they were, how everyone just played so well there wasn't really a bad performance no there wasn't a single player that was below an eight out of ten and only the ones that were eight were the ones that were probably didn't have to do as much like Ashley Young was was really quiet in the game but he didn't really have to do too much other than just lead by example as he always does the rest of the team all performed to an incredibly high level even Leander Dendonka came in and I've been a little bit critical of him as a player that I thought was an odd sign-in but with Kamara injured, he stepped in and he was phenomenal at the weekend. I think he only misplaced one pass for the entire game. He just read the game incredibly well. The same goes for Ramsey as well. That midfield was where Villa won the game. And actually, that's one of the areas that you would have considered Newcastle's strongest. Like Bruno Bruno Guimaraes really struggled to get into the game. We didn't see much of them getting the ball forward to Isak. When he did, he looked quite lively. But defensively, Villa was so sound. There was a little joke at the end of the match where Mings went up to the interviewer and said, well, that match, the match award must be for me. And to be honest, there could have been a queue of Villa players behind him asking for that. Mings was outstanding, threw himself in front of everything again. And 
with Southgate watching on, he has to be one of the first names on the next England squad, alongside, of course, the man of the moment for Aston Villa, Raleigh Watkins, who was unplayable. I was going to say, I was going to interject on Watkins because Mm -hmm. he's playing with the kind of swagger that you rarely see from um, many players, really. I mean, Marcus Rashford recently has played with a similar kind of verve, hasn't he, going forward? But everything he does seems so precise, so controlled, so well thought out. He's always reading the game a step ahead and you can see what his next move is going to be mm-hmm. or what he should do. And he ac- executes it brilliantly every time. So it must be great for you to see Ollie Watkins in such a rich vein of form and almost becoming like a class above where what we saw from him even last season, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a really nice conversation to keep having because it's not a temporary sort of raise in form. It seems like it's just his game has come on under Emery. And that's the most important thing, that it's going to be a consistent thing. We're now talking about a sample size of almost four months where he's been, bar Erling Haaland, who's posting alien numbers, the best player in the Premier League when it comes to goal contributions. No one else has contributed to as many goals as him, bar Erling Haaland. That's that's absolutely ridiculous for a player like Watkins, who has been so selfless for Aston Villa in the past. And he said himself that the big turning point is him being able to progress more, make more selfish runs and be in the goal scoring positions he needs to be in. And it's working for him. You can see his confidence is at a whole new level. The fact that very often he picks the ball up and he's looking for the opportunity at goal. His first goal, for example, the turn. He, he, I think it's Botman. He just sits down. Yeah. He doesn't even think about it. He knows where the goal is instinctively. And actually, I was almost more impressed with Ramsey's goal and Watkins' contribution to that. The way he hung in the air, it wasn't just a case of keeping the ball alive. You can watch. He looks where Ramsey is and he places it. And it's such a hard skill to be able to get yourself to mm. that sort of angle and get the ball down in such a manner that a player in, in his run of form right now with that kind of confidence is willing to take that on. It's superb. He could have had a hat trick. He hit the post. Pope saved one with his feet. He had one disallowed for offside. But he's just, it looks, he looked unplayable in this game. There was nothing Newcastle could do to contain him. Yeah. And that's the kind of forward that Villa have always wanted. And it's something we've lacked for years. Agbonlahor is still our record Premier League goal scorer. <laughs> At this rate, Watkins will, will take that by the end of next season, I, I'd imagine. He's been, he's been outstanding. And mm. you can say that about a lot of the squad. So many of them have stepped up yeah. under Emery. Yeah, well, we, I joked at the start, really, just to get a reaction, really, that top four was realistic. But, I mean, the form that Villa are in, it's not exactly fanciful either. You look at the table, yeah. Dave, and you see the likes of Newcastle dropping points in a big game like this. That's why it was such a huge statement. Also, Tottenham looking really out of sorts, which we'll talk about in a moment. You can only really see maybe Brighton that are on a par for form, really, or very close to them, and, and maybe challenging for you know an outsider for the Champions League. So... As a Man United fan, also up amongst it in the top four, are Villa a threat? I mean, I think the six points behind Newcastle at the minute and they've got a game to play. But what a statement this game is really in that pursuit. I think they've got to keep doing what they're doing and take it game by game. I think the next two games are going to be pivotal to that. They've got to really see where they are after these next two games, which you would probably expect them to beat Brentford. Um, Fulham might be a tough game, but you kind of want them to win that as well, considering how they've been with their form, you, you'd think they'd be favourites. They win those two games, then they can then look at the running, look at how other teams have... Because other teams at the top are dropping points left, right and centre. So we don't know where they will be. It sounds daft, but even after two games, if they win these next two games and other teams around them drop points again, it just changes the whole um, kind of, obviously, perspective of how the league is league table looks. So... We'll see what happens. The last five games are quite difficult in the league. They've obviously got United, 
they've got Wolves, which you probably anticipate them that them to win that. But obviously, it's a derby. Um, Spurs, Liverpool, and Brighton. So that last game of, of the league of the league season could That's be huge. a massive game, really. Can I just say though? Go. We've beaten United under Emery already. We've beaten Spurs under Emery already. So even the the more challenging looking games, I don't feel a lack of confidence about them. There are very few teams in the league that Villa would have to play right now where I wouldn't feel like we could go and get a win. I mean, Man City are a juggernaut that are taking apart everyone right now. We know that Arsenal-Villa was was an incredibly tight game and that could have gone a different way, but that's always going to be a big challenge. Other than that, I fancy us against anyone right now, I'll be totally honest. And we're not the only one with difficult fixtures. Newcastle are six points ahead of us, but they could really easily get pulled into it. They've got such a weird dynamic of fixtures, Mm. Newcastle, because they've either got teams right at the top or right at the bottom. So you imagine they'll pick up some points, but they've got Spurs at the weekend. How do you draw that game? Perfect. I had a look and yeah. I think every single team that Newcastle play until the end of the season are all playing for something. It's either Absolutely. the Champions League or relegation candidates. And the only team that is, that's kind of caught in the middle is Chelsea on the last day of the season. That's it. No, nah, they're relegated. Well, you know, relegation relegation. <laughs> no, honestly, it's, it would be ridiculous for Villa to, to be anywhere near the top four come the last couple of weeks of the season. I don't look at it and go, yeah, I think we're favourites, but I wouldn't write us off either. Yeah. There's a really famous quote that Villa fans love about do you want to bet against us? And right now, I don't think anyone would. No. I think this result of the weekend just opened the race up a little bit. And I think, actually, we probably did a couple of other teams a favour. I think Brighton and Liverpool are kind of in the conversation again now. Yeah. Liverpool are six points behind Villa, but they've got two games in hand as well. So if they can pick up four, maybe they go back into the conversation as well. It was just a massive result for the league as a whole. And I like seeing it shaken up. The fact that we were even having yeah. a conversation now... I'm happy with it. We could finish sixth, seventh. It's still a phenomenal achievement. Well, I was going to say Unai Emery on, has put on record, hasn't he, and said that top six is now the new goal. Yeah. And I think you look at the the table, you do see Brighton and Liverpool behind and, and actually looking at close contenders to that. But in fifth place, you've got a Tottenham Hotspur team that are only three points ahead. And they look like a realistic team to drop out of that top six at the moment, don't they? So for Villa, I think top five probably is more realistic. Fifth place would be fantastic, wouldn't it? I think by the time we play Spurs, we'll go above them. I honestly, I, I can't. Spurs are terrible. Like... Spurs are terrible, really. They've got a couple of great players, but as as a team, they're awful. We'll talk about them in a bit, I'm sure. But you just want to start dragging teams into the conversation. That's what we did this weekend. Yeah. That's what we've got the chance to do for the rest of the season. I think we're fortunate in that Bournemouth and Fulham are probably out of those conversations now. So having those two in our next couple of games. They're probably the most on-the-beach teams that we'll, we'll come up against, really, now. After that, look, if you want to get to the top four, this is how you do it. It's a difficult route. And if you look at Villa's last eight fixtures, we're unbeaten. We've won seven, drawn one, only conceded two. That's incredibly stable. So we're doing things right at the back as well as going forward. It would be hard to sustain that for another eight games or seven games, what we've got left now. But... Why can't we? I, I think this Villa team has proven a lot of people wrong. There was a, a video that went out recently from a, a big football publication about Villa's XG stats that got a lot of Aston Villa fans upset <laughs> because the suggestion was that we're outperforming our XG and it, it's been luck. Yeah, it isn't luck. We've got a world-class coach who knows how to play a system. We've got a world-class goalkeeper who proved himself again in this game. That's why we're outperforming our XG against us. We've got a striker in the best form of his career. That's why we're improving on our XG4 as well. 
That's not luck. That's genuine skill, class and talent that Emery is helping to develop. I'm really proud of that. Yeah, I think potential manager of the season um, contender, I think, depending on how Arsenal and their season pans out, you know, he's, he's definitely one that's made one of the biggest impacts I've seen at a new club ever in the Premier League. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, and it's not even a fluke either because it's been such a sustained run now. So he's a fair play to Aston Villa. Yeah. Yeah. Um, moving on to United though, Dave, I just want to zoom in on um, Anthony really because United beat Nottingham Forest 2-0 and we looked at this fixture with the amount of like injuries and United stuttering lately and going, this could be a potential banana skin if you like. Um, we had Harry Maguire and Victor Lindelof in the team, Diego Dallo at like, left back and we were kind of thinking that defence doesn't fill me with confidence. But I mean, eventually United will set it into the game and one player that kind of stood out really, probably one of his best games at United shirt was Anthony. He's had a lot of stick, hasn't he, since he came to the club. He had an explosive start, but he's gone, I think, six games without a goal for the club now. So he was overdue a goal. He has a lot of tricks in his bag, and I think that's why the opinion's divided, for neutrals especially. But as United fans, do you feel like he's kind of slowly proved himself and justified his price tag with this performance? Yeah, uh, he's got a long way to go to prove his worth, I feel. We've seen glimpses of it. Um Obviously, he's had a lot of a lot of flack. I think if you're making comparison with one particular other English player who went for an obviously sizable sum as well, who plays over the road, um, obviously, you know, Is one thing that... one's English, similar sort of statistics as well, actually. Um, so you know, the Brazilian one, the one who's obviously got all the frills and bits and bobs, and is not the finished article. Is the one who gets most of the. Uh, the criticism. Um, so, but yeah, he needs time. He needs time to settle. When you look at Grealish this season, like for instance, and he is looking like the player that we, we've seen him in the past. Yeah. Anthony is coming to a new country, new, obviously, environment, completely different surroundings. But in the last two or three games, he has looked, you know, he's looked, looked a lot more threatening. He's looked more decisive in some of the movements and the, the decisions that he's making on the pitch. I, I do think he'll be a success at United, but it's not going to be... It actually reminds me a little bit of, of Nani when he was at United quite a few years ago. It took yeah. a while, actually, for him to kind of make an impact. And actually, in the end, he was, you know, became a really good player. Um, but it's it, a lot of it is it is the money, really. That's what it comes yeah. down to. People are expecting, obviously, someone gets £80 million spent on them. They need to come in and hit the, hit the ground running straight away. But you look at, obviously, what he did in this game. I thought, you know, the first goal following in at the back post, it's something that doesn't happen enough this season. You see yeah. some of the teams, some of the a lot more successful teams in this league, you look at Man City do it every single week. It's literally, it's just emotion for them that's just natural to them now. It doesn't happen enough. It doesn't happen enough at United. I feel like a lot of our wide, wide players, especially, just they literally get caught sort of on the heels in the in the. Uh, in the 18-yard box, and they're not following in. So it was yeah. good to see that happen. And then, obviously, he's playing his little dribble into the, obviously, towards the box and playing Dallow in, which was a brilliant ball. I thought, you know, it was, I thought it was a really encouraging performance. And, you know, let's see what happens here until the end of the season. Yeah, I think a goal and an assist, it's one of those things that gets held against attacking players, isn't it? Those kind of stats. But he needed that, I think. And I think he's got 85% pass accuracy for the game. He had seven shots, I think. So he was a constant threat. Miles, are you seeing a player that has the kind of potential to maybe justify that price tag long term? Because, I mean, it is about end product. Can he do this 
continually. I think Eric Ten Hag's compared him slightly to Arjun Robin and the way he cuts in and, sh- <laughs> and shoots. He does it a lot, but sometimes it comes off and that's where it really shows its, its worth to the team. Yeah, I think I'm one of few neutrals that's actually really enjoyed watching Anthony this season. I, I, I love a player like this. I think it's, it's nice to have that flair in your team. And I think realistically, I mean, you guys might know the numbers, but I saw them the other day. I think realistically, if you'd said to any United fan, be reasonable. I understand that it's a lot of money and you have to take that on board. A young lad moving from the Eredivisie from Brazil in, as a winger, what numbers would you be happy with in his first season at Man United? That's a question that you might ask yourselves. Well, he's got 10 goals and three assists this season so far. That's not a bad output, really. That's, that's yeah. decent numbers. And mm. I think he'll improve that before the end of the season too. It is funny because he is one of those typical players who likes to cut inside where that is always what he's going to do. He is forever going to come onto that left foot. A defender should know that. But him timing when he releases the ball is the thing that makes the difference. If you look at the Dallow goal, for example, he kept cutting inside, defenders followed him, followed him, followed him. It looked like he was going to play the ball or shoot four times before he eventually played the pass. And that's where the unpredictable part comes in. And that's very clever. I think it's fine to have a player who's given a season to adapt. We talked, uh, not last week, the week before, about Grealish, as Dave mentioned. We've seen it with other players that have brought into the league or even just move sides. It takes time sometimes to become part of a system. Now, Anthony has the advantage of coming from a Ten Hag system to a Ten Hag team, but it's still a completely new set of circumstances. And I actually think we've seen a lot from him to really enjoy. It's silly to ridicule a player for for doing tricks if they don't always work. You don't want to take that out of the game. We watch football for beautiful, perfect moments where we all go, wow, I can't believe that came off. If you push a player to stop doing that, then we we lose the fun and the entertainment from it. And actually, Anthony has provided plenty of that this season. I think he'll continue to do that for United for a long time. Absolutely well said. I think he, he he has this trick and Robin used to do it to great effect, but it's you say it's predictable, but it's only predictable if you can stop it and do something yep. about it. Otherwise, it's a trick that no one can deal with. Therefore, it's a weapon. And mm-hmm. I can see it being a weapon. He's had a lot of shots in that same situation that have gone wide or haven't quite been on target. And it, there'll be a season where finally that clicks and his technique pays off and he'll, he'll train in that motion so much that he'll score a few goals well, from those positions. That's what I'm waiting for. that worldie against City early in the season. Beautiful yeah. goal. Yeah, yeah and yeah. the thing is, with a trick like that cutting inside, people are quite quick to go, oh, it's so obvious that he's going to do that. The defender should be able to defend it quicker. But the thing that Robin always had and Anthony has too is the pace at which they do that. You've got to remember, if you're a defender trying to hold that off, you've got your back to goal and someone is running directly at you. You're not moving at the same pace as them at that point. You're kind of standing your ground, trying to shield a position. They are moving far quicker and it's much easier for Anthony to accelerate to the left than it is for a defender to pick up that pace and follow him. So it does open up space for him still. And Anthony finds that space and creates it really, really well. And the longer he's in the league and the longer he's in that team, the better his understanding and his connection with his team teammates will be to do that he's maybe a little bit selfish sometimes but the Mm. fact he got an assist in this game will be a big boost for that he's seen the positive output from him in looking for a teammate and yeah Diego Dalla got his first Premier League goal worth mentioning that too (laughs) on his 100th appearance as well so long yeah I didn't realize it was 100 that's good 
Yeah, and an unfamiliar position for him as well. But um, United had a few challenges as well, Dave, with injuries, haven't they? So the centre-back pairing, of course, of Martinez and Varane, which have been so successful so far this season, both missing for the rest of the season we hear, which is, you know, gutting for United. Uh, and Marcel Sabitzer as well got injured in the warm-up. So Christian Eriksen had to make a, a quick change, didn't he, to get ready. But the midfield trio for United played brilliantly, didn't they? And I think when them three have played together with Bruno Fernandes, Eriksen and Casemiro, I don't think United have, have had much failure in, in, in any game when they've played as a trio, have they? The 88% win rate when they've yeah, played together. Phenomenal. And that and the other um, percentage is only draws as well, so they've not lost the game. Yeah, um, I mean, that's got to bode well, really, though, hasn't it? When the, when we've got a midfield as formidable as that, it looked great. Yeah, and that, I think that's what stood out for most people in this game. I know Bruno got obviously got man of the match. Um, might be worth it's worth highlighting actually as well this season. Bruno's created eighty eight chances in the league, which is more than any other player in the top five leagues in Europe, which is just ridiculous when you Phenomenal. say like that. Is he underrated um, then? Is Bruno Fernandez underrated? No, by some you might say. Um, <laughs> I think it's just because he's such a winger. Oh yeah, I think he's he's certainly he's certainly one of those players where I can imagine opposition fans is just are going to hate him, and yeah. I think that's why he doesn't get probably the praise that maybe he deserves. But he's just that sort of player. Like obviously, look at Kevin De Bruyne at City. He doesn't really kind of give off the same sort of you know behaviour and and vibes like like Bruno does, and he obviously gets all the plaudits. But I, I just think that's why I do, yeah. really do professionalism isn't it and the air of yeah. professionalism that he displays are you a little bit worried that it is getting slightly tighter in the league and you've got major injuries and you've got two more competitions to worry about like it's like you said it's the the centre-back pairing both your left backs are out Rashford's still out Sabitz has now picked up an injury there were some others as well that I saw you, you'll you'll know it better than I do but mm. I think this I think... win was vital to give yourselves a bit of a cushion but 100%. it's going to be a difficult think... run-in with that squad isn't it I think the thing that kind of calms me a little bit more is seeing the teams, like the fixture lists for the teams around us. Like we obviously already mentioned Newcastle. The, um, top Spurs have still got to play us in the next game and Villa in the following game after that. So you've got to say yeah. these two next two games for Spurs could be kind of do or die for them, really. They're already six, they're already five points behind United and United have got a game in hand. Mm-hmm. So if we beat Spurs, I think that's it. Spurs are out of it, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, um, I think we need a couple more wins. Um, but in the next, if we win the next couple of games, or we get four points over the next few games, I think I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, it will take a massive, massive, disastrous sort of collapse of seismic proportions <laughs> if we kind of obviously lose it. I can understand. Yeah, obviously we've got a lot of injury. I think the main thing for me is that we've got players who are coming in like Martial. Since he's come back in, he's looked really good. Um, he makes such a difference being a centre forward in that team as as opposed to Wegos. Um, <laughs> and obviously our midfield, as long as we keep the midfield in and they stay fit, I think we'll be okay. Um, I think I think Rashford's meant to be back in the next couple of matches as well, and that'll be obviously a really welcome boost back. Mm-hmm. So. For me, I'm, I just kind of would like to think if we were going to sacrifice anything, if we had to, it'd be the Europa League. Because one I thing I don't want to do. No, I think maybe we did, yeah. But I think it, I, the thought of enabling a Manchester City treble and not beating them in the final if we eventually do get there would be unthinkable. You know, I'd, I'd, like, I'd rather sacrifice the Europa League and focus on beating City and stopping them. I think, that. I think I'd rather win the Europa League than the FA Cup. Just because oh, yeah. I think we've got a better chance of winning the Europa League. Yeah, maybe. I think 
I think I think we'll get beat by Brighton at the weekend. I think United mm. will lose to Brighton in the semi-final. Well, look at and that segue, fair, Dave. It's like you knew final... I was going to talk about Brighton next, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, the final of Brighton and City, obviously, all, all due respect to, to Sheffield United, but that would actually be a hell of a final, to be fair. Two great football teams. United, Neck. Yeah, moving on to Brighton. Thank you for that introduction to the next section, Dave. Um, Brighton beat Chelsea, which is, you know, not unremarkable, but the nature of, of the way they beat Chelsea, they came from behind um, to win 2-1. They had two real injury issues in the first half that were kind of completely dismissed by Roberto De Zerbi, tweaked his team, brought on an, another new superstar in Julio Enciso, it looks like, who scored a fantastic goal. And I just think the way Brighton are playing at the minute... Miles, you can chip in with this one, but they're one of the best teams to watch at the moment, aren't they, Brighton? They look fantastic again in this game. Yeah, I think Lampard was quoted afterwards saying, nah, we'll, have, we'll probably sign five more of their players. No, but seriously, we are in a relegation battle now. <laughs> it's, it's, it's awful, isn't it? Brighton just made Chelsea look exactly what they've been all season, incredibly average. Yeah. Even the fact that they, they went behind in this game, it didn't look worried about that, did they? They continued to fight forward. Evan Ferguson, when he was on, he had some, some really good chance. I think he hit the crossbar at one point. And if it wasn't for Kepa, then it, it could have been a lot worse, really. It's it's outstanding. I, I don't know what more we can say about Brighton because it just seems like it, it just rinse and repeat that they they bring in a player that we've probably never heard of. Yeah. He shines for five games and then all of a sudden he's a world-class footballer worth 80 million. So they've probably got another one on their hands now. I think the only downside for Brighton at the moment is it's it's been quite clear that Alexis McAllister will leave in the summer. Him and his agent have come out, spoken openly about that. But Deserby hinted that him and Matoma would be hanging around. So maybe Brighton can continue to build this phenomenal project. And actually, you asked me about Villa's hopes for top four. I, I quietly think Brighton might be the favourites to take that fourth spot now. I, th- I think it's more between them and Newcastle than anyone else because they've got two games in hand. And I know games in hand don't mean points on the board and that's what you'd want at this stage of the season. But my yeah. word, they, they they just look phenomenal. I don't really know how you stop Brighton. I think the way that Roberto De Zerbi not only is integrated into this team, which was, you know, Graham Potter's, it was Graham Potter's to the core. He kind of not just did that, but put his twist on it as well. And we said that at the time, that appointment was a very positive one from Brighton because his reputation is as as a very attacking um, manager. And he's brought that approach to a Brighton team that was always traditionally struggling to score. Again, a very Graham Potter thing. But De Zerbi has made it effortless hasn't he Dave it's the way that Brighton score goals and create goals and the intensity they bring to every single game is Roberto De Zerbi's hallmark isn't it what a manager and what a style of football he's imposed on this team yeah and I think obviously you just have a look at the amount of chances they create per game ridiculous I don't even understand how Chelsea will want to look in this game because the amount of chances that Brighton had in the first 15-20 minutes was was just frankly insane. Um, but I think one player you've got to talk about is Karen Matoma. I think the way he's adapted to this team um, has been you know nothing short of outstanding. And just how threatening he looks as, as one. Of, he's got to be one. Of, I think he's one of the best wingers in the league already. Just how well he's actually playing, um, and he's being relied upon as a as a match winner. And that's exactly what it is at the minute. He's creating chances. He's obviously scoring goals. It sounds like Miles has already said. It is a bit ridiculous the the way that a lot of their players are coming through, and they are looking like potential world class players. And you've got really 
obviously give all the credit to the scouting team, the way obviously they're bringing these players in. I think the, you look at obviously Julian Caesar, who's he's been on the fringes a little bit, and he's just literally obviously given a, a couple of opportunities here and there. I think he scored two goals in his last three league games now, though. Um, it's what a goal really is that? Oh yeah, outstanding. Oh, you're not going to see many cleaner hits than that. Mm, like great this. technique. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I just feel as though it's another one of those as well. It's this season. You just the consistency that they're showing against all teams. If you look at even against a lot of the, the big teams, and the worrying thing for me actually as well, I actually quite fear playing Brighton. I know United have got Brighton in in the in the semi final. They've then got them um, in the league as well. Oh, they're just a team that you hate coming up against because you know you're going to get a hell of a game. Yeah. I think they're the only team I look at in Man City's running and go, they could probably cause City some problems. Literally the only game. So mm. I think a lot of teams are going to struggle against them still with whatever's left. But I mean, I think if they win their only game in hand against Newcastle, they'll be four points behind. So is catching Newcastle realistic, do you think, Miles? Yeah, I think it could be. It depends. Newcastle is such a funny team to uh, to analyse because you keep waiting for them to drop off. And although they, they obviously will be incredibly disappointed with the result at the weekend, they did win five games in a row before that. Mm. So do we expect Newcastle to maintain the, the form they've been on to the end of the season or does their fixture list kind of throw up a few spanners? It's going to be so tight, but I, I think Brighton definitely can. Um I would, if possible, like a word on Chelsea, though, because I've not had a chance to talk about the Frank Lampard reappointment yet. I feel like and we've spoken about Chelsea so much, though, but you're right. What's what's your take on Chelsea just, and Lampard, then? It's, it's just hilarious. If you look at their fixtures now, they've got Nottingham Forest and, and Bournemouth, who, well, they won at the weekend, so you never know. Other than that, you can realistically see Chelsea losing every single game they have left this season, particularly with this appointment. I... There is no logic to it at all from any party because you have removed Graham Potter to put someone in until the end of the season, which suggests that you feel that it was going so badly under Potter that Lampard will do better than him. That's categorically not true. We're all convinced of that. I also think from Frank's perspective, it's a player that I admired so much growing up. And as a manager, he has failed in his last job. He took the Chelsea job too early. And we all said, we understand why he took it because you have to take that when it comes up. But when looking back, maybe he shouldn't have taken that step at that stage of his career. And he's made the same mistake again. I also wonder what it says about him and his his intentions for a managerial career. Because this isn't an ageing manager who's towards the end of his career coming in to save his club like someone like Roy Hodgson. This is someone who should be looking to cement himself and build his reputation. And yeah. taking that Chelsea job is never going to build his reputation. So what he's done is accepted a part-time contract at a club that he's going to fail at. Where does he go after this? It's like he's written off his managerial career by taking this appointment. I just find it absolutely bizarre. I watched them against Real Madrid while I was away, and I just thought it was men against boys. They just look, they look so poor. Real Madrid and, didn't even play very well either. No, they didn't need to. And it was like they knew they didn't need to. They, they were mocking them. And it was the same in this game, really. Brighton, if you looked at those two teams and talked about the level of investment that's gone into them, there is not one person on this planet that would have thought that Chelsea were the team that had invested that money rather than Brighton if you didn't know them. It's, it's such a state. And bringing in Lampard while you look for another manager just tells me what 
a lack of direction Chelsea clearly have. Because if you look at Brighton, they're the perfect example. And Chelsea have tried to copy that example in every way but this one. When Potter left, they had a plan. They knew who was coming in. When they've lost the key player, they've had a plan. They sold yeah. Trossard, who was in great form. They had Matoma ready. They lost a manager that they thought was really successful for them. They've got better because they knew where they were going next. Chelsea's scream of a team that go, oh, let's just do anything. And they're really fortunate that there are so many poor teams in the league right now because they're 12 points above relegation. I cannot. I, I honestly think if Chelsea pick up four more points this season... They should be proud of that as an effort. That's how bad they've been lately. They're yeah. very lucky that there are so many teams below them right now. So otherwise, they could get easily dragged into it. Well, Crystal Palace are in five form, and they're only three points away from Chelsea now, which is mental. And that gap used to be huge, you know, between twelfth mm. and anyone higher. Yeah. But then just below that, you've got an informed Bournemouth team that are only six points adrift of Chelsea now. It's ridiculous. Which again, mental. So moving on to Bournemouth, Dave, I think they, they beat Spurs in the final, final minute. 3-2 uh, they won. And another determined, impressive, progressive, counter-attacking performance. They've stuck to their principles under Gary O'Neill, haven't they? They've not gone defensive at all. And they've actually made signings in January that have made that attacking approach actually more feasible as a team. And it's really paid off for them to the point where, again, Bournemouth being among the relegation candidates seems a bit ridiculous now. And it was only maybe six, seven weeks ago that we were actually all saying, yeah, I think Bournemouth could struggle. No chance. They're actually playing some fantastic football. And this Spurs victory, another statement victory, really, wasn't it? How many, oh, just how have they surprised people? You know, I think if you have to look at, especially in some of the games where they've actually picked points up on, obviously they were unlucky against Arsenal not to get something out of that game. They beat Liverpool recently. Obviously they beat, just beat Spurs. And that's, you've got to look at the character of that team and say, obviously you go into, into those games and you're actually getting results from those teams. That's like a hell of achievement. Um, especially I think coming into the season they were for me probably I think I put them as one of my favourites to go down just because of you know some of the the players that they do have probably aren't as you know as good as some of the the other teams have Um, and I I just feel as though what they've shown and particularly over the last couple of games it's really kind of pulled them out of trouble a little bit and given them a little bit of breathing space obviously there's still a long way to go um, but yeah, if you obviously looked at how they played in this game, the first two finishes in particular were brilliant. All three finishes, in fact. Absolutely. But the first two, two dinks in a row. Not very <laughs> often you see that, let alone one. Um, but And then obviously Atari's finish at the end. Yeah, brilliant. Absolutely ruthless. Um, he's a player that's actually really impressed me. I, I've seen him, I think, for the first time against Liverpool. And just, he looks really raw, but he shows actually quite a lot of quality in terms of his pace is unreal we actually he tore um some of the defenders apart when he obviously he was on the pitch and I just feel as though they have a lot to play with if they can stay up this season I, I really do feel as though there's an opportunity there for them to go on invest in obviously in, in, in the summer transfer winner but I just feel as though they really did expose Spurs in certain in certain moments they obviously Spurs defensively Davinson Sanchez again. I don't know what he was doing for for the first goal, um, but they didn't cover themselves in glory at all. But Bournemouth just took advantage of that, and you know, fair play to them. Yeah, ruthlessly as well. I was going to say with Bournemouth, the way they persisted and the way they continued to counter attack, you know, even when Spurs' front line was so threatening, still um, was testament really to their approach, wasn't it, Miles? They they just pushed and persisted, and and it paid off massively. 
Yeah, not to overlook the the brilliant way that Dave's analysed that game in your question, but I, I can't get off my mind that we've clearly got a new feature for the podcast where each week we need to look at Dave's dink of the weekend, surely. <laughs> Double dink on this case. Double dink on <laughs> Dave this weekend, and then next weekend we'll see what we can come up with. Yeah, Spurs, Spurs were a calamity. As good as yeah. Bournemouth were, Spurs continued to be Spurs, where they just... <sighs> Well, what more can you say? Defensively, well, there's just Bournemouth so sensed that, though, didn't they? Bournemouth yeah, could tell. Absolutely, they capitalised on it. And it's it's very funny to watch Spurs capitulate like this. They deserve it. Conte is feeling rectified every single time this happens, mm. surely. That defence that Conte was so critical of is what let them down again. Yeah. All right, they brought in Pedro Porro in January. He, he looks poor defensively. Davinson Sanchez, the player that was so promising at Ajax and we saw him in that Europa League final against United and he really seemed like a player that could come on. I think that he was Spurs record signing at the time. Mm. He just, I, I can't believe he's a Premier League footballer. He's he's that poor. Mm. It, it, it's shockingly bad. And it just seems like Spurs are just fading into nothing now. And that was happening under Conte. They've made the change. They've not really made the change efficiently or effectively. They've not really done anything. They've just brought his assistant in. The squad's the same squad. They're not trying new players in or bringing the youth in to see how they gel. And they're going to find themselves failing to get into the top four. It's funny because Brighton are below them. Villa are below them. Liverpool are below them. All of them have a better chance of getting to the top four than Spurs right now. There's there's absolutely no way. Do you think they've given up in a way? Over the last two or three games, do you think it looks like there's a team that's kind of accepted it's weird because in certain areas yes but like son's finally hitting some form yeah like it's weird that that's not really been enough yeah i just i don't think they know what's expected of them i don't think they know how to play together they've not got a clear system that works for the players that are in that squad it's just they're falling apart and I can't pretend that I don't find it slightly funny that Richarlison is still waiting for a Premier oh. League goal. Has had another one disallowed. If you'd <laughs> ask at the start of the season who was going to get a Premier League goal first, a £60 million Richarlison at Spurs or Diego Costa who was out without a club at the time, <laughs> I don't think you would have uh, you would have bet on that one, I'm afraid. But yeah, Spurs will miss out on the top seven at this rate if they keep going. They're just going to continue to fall, mm. I think. I have to check sometimes to see that they are genuinely where they are in the table. I can't, say every yeah, time I can't we talk about them, don't we? Yeah. What, why are, how are they still there? Because I think they developed enough of a gap at one point and that yeah. has disappeared now. And the fact that someone like Villa, who were where they were three points behind them, shows how long Spurs have been sleepwalking towards this downfall. Absolutely. They want the season to end now, you can tell, can't you? Which is crazy because they have got so much to play for. Why have they decided to just call it quits and, and down tools? I don't get it. Well, especially as their next managerial appointment will massively depend on where they finish in the league. Because yeah. one thing that they might have over someone like Chelsea, who are trying to employ someone, is they might be able to offer European football. Not at this rate, they're not. And if they find themselves out of Europe, who are you going to, Chelsea or Spurs? You're taking Chelsea all day. The ceiling's yeah. far higher. So, yeah, they're, they're really messing their season up. You can see that some of those players are, are just waiting for a move. Someone like Sanchez doesn't have a future at Spurs. Kane's going to be counting on how long he's got left on his contract until he can move on. He'll end up at United by the summer, won't he, or somewhere like that. He's, yeah. it, it, it just looks like it's falling apart for them. And they've only got themselves to blame, to be totally honest. Well, you mentioned Davidson Sanchez brought on for Clement Longley, but then hooked booed. off soon after and booed. Yeah. So, yeah, he's not 
great, but the price tag isn't his fault. And I kind of feel for the guy. You could see his reaction was quite emotional afterwards when he got substituted. And I kind of get that, don't you? It's Maguire-esque, to be fair, Mm. because when you're in a position like that, mistakes are so clear and often Mm. lead to goals. So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where your confidence is low, you overcomplicate things in your mind, you make the wrong decisions. And then even when you aren't doing things necessarily wrong, things just look so highlighted and you're waiting for that thing. Look at the, I hate to go back to them, but look at United in the Europa League. Maguire, Maguire own goal. That's the headline. He could have done nothing about it, but it's just such a self-fulfilling prophecy. He went in off his face. He had no clue what was going on. And it was like that with Sanchez. I think he, he made a tackle for one of the Bournemouth goals and the ball just happened to fall to a Bournemouth striker. He's given the ball away and they've scored. It's, it's, it's just one of those things where it's not worked for him the sooner they can both cut their losses, the better, really. But when you've spent so much money and you're a club like Spurs who refuse to admit defeat with losses, yeah. it's just going to fade into nothing, really, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, quickly, before we finish then, guys, I want to just have a quick look at the title race. I mean, it's it's becoming a thrilling title race as well because obviously City are so relentless at the minute. But Dave, the second weekend in a row where Arsenal have, can, have let a 2-0 lead slip... I mean, it's easy to say the narrative is that they're bottling it, but it's hard to look any other way when they were so in control this weekend, weren't they? And they still draw to West Ham, who have been really poor this season. Um, are Arsenal under pressure now? Are they, are they going to crumble, do you think? What's, what's going on? I still think it's too early to say. Uh, you're getting a lot of people saying, oh, the, the bottling, or oh, they're bottling the, the top race. It's, there's still so many games left. Let's not forget. Obviously, yeah. the next game, they've got obviously against Southampton. They've got one more game before City have, and City will have a game in hand still when they do come up against Arsenal next Wednesday. But I just feel as though there's still such a long way to go. Um, the opportunity is there. It's whether they want to take it. Yeah. Um, let's not forget, obviously, there, there are so many inexperienced players in that team that haven't been in this situation before. Um, let alone the club, you know, who, who've not won a, t- a league title for what has it been twenty years now? I know, but the mm. the way that they lost, well, I say lost, it felt like a loss, didn't it? But the way this game got away from them and the way West Ham came back into it, I don't think was a result of nerves or lack of experience. They got two nil up quite soon on, th- and they looked to just relax. And I that's think just, it's frustrating, isn't it? I think what was more more worrying for me is when it went to two two. It didn't look like Arsenal were going to score. There's no, been God, there's been chance. there's been so many games this season when it looks like inevitability um, that Arsenal are going to get the winner, and you kind of just waiting for it to happen. They've scored late in games so many times this season, but mm. I just felt I just it just felt like one of those games where you you knew they weren't going to win. It, it yeah. was just they weren't didn't look threatening at all, and that's just so unlike this Arsenal team. It's um, which is the worrying part for me. Yeah, it's funny for me because I watched the, I missed the first half actually, but I watched the second half with with my Arsenal supporting family, and <laughs> it was it was funny seeing how quickly things fall fall off for them because yeah. I understand their frustration because once again it's another game that they had completely in their control. Yeah, and the reason that they've dropped points is because they stopped doing what they were doing well. Watching it back, I've watched the first half back and Arsenal start the game so brightly and are so willing to create chances. Both their goals are beautiful and such Mm. Arsenal goals from this season. And then they just stopped doing it and they just let West Ham back into the game and they just sat up and went, okay, we'll defend a 2-0 lead. I think half of it is that they look knackered 
they look absolutely knackered. Saka at his quietest game this season and obviously missed the penalty. It's, yeah. it's weird to see a penalty miss the target for a second game in a row as well from players. You don't see that very often. Well, is really that pressure maybe? Maybe as well? I, I just wonder. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Defensively, it's such an obvious comment to make that they're missing Saliba when Rob Holden is is the replacement. And I think, again, Gabriel, as good as he has been at times, the, the penalty was so silly. Like was, he was never yeah. getting anywhere near that ball. Kieran Tierney coming into the side as well. He fell asleep for the Bowen goal. Yeah. And you can see a lack of match fitness within him. You're just waiting for him to come off injured. I just think collectively they went to Nilla and tried to defend but their defence is the most frail part of their team right now. If they continue to try and take the game to West Ham, then maybe it would be a different story. And that was exactly what happened against Liverpool as well. A phenomenal game that, mm. oh, sadly, I didn't get to talk about, but you guys have, have had your share on. It, it, just, it shows, again, that in key moments, this is what defines your season. And now it's in both of their hands. And the thing that Arsenal have really got to hope for is that if they beat Southampton, they'll go into that Man City game. I think they'll go into that Man City game seven points clear and City will have two games in hand. But that seems like a bigger margin than it might be, and I wonder if the pressure then starts to build on City. Right now, you can't see City dropping any points, so Arsenal have to be perfect for the rest yeah. of the season. Well, that game, that last week. It's, it's a cup final, and it's just mm. it's it's thrilling. I've, I've got to say, I don't think Arsenal should be finding themselves in this position, though. They, no. they should have done better in the last two games. Well, this, this weekend was the contrast, really, for me, because, I mean, City went 3-0 up against Leicester, and that third goal changes the mentality. Whereas if you're sitting at two, I know there's a cliche that it's a dangerous result still to be 2-0 up, but you felt that Arsenal still had it in them to go 3-0 up. So I don't understand why they didn't see it through. An exciting run-in, nonetheless, at the top, bottom and middle of the Premier League. Um, it feels like there's no real safe position at the minute, so... Looks like it's going to be a thrilling climax. Please join us for the ride if you can. Thank you for listening up to this point. But if you could hop over to YouTube and hit subscribe on our channel there, you can see all the clips and the the video versions of what we're talking about now. That'd be a huge boost for our growth if you could do that. I'd really appreciate that. But thank you for listening, whatever audio platform you're on. And thank you, guys. Speak to you soon. Cheers. (laughs) 